Hello and welcome to your weekly roundup of all the latest news and ramble about what we've been driving and doing from the team at electrifying.com. So this week, when is a Jeep not a Jeep? We'll be coming up with a punchline to that one. Uh, and in a mad, absolutely mad week for electric car launches, we're going to be discussing the Peugeot E3008 reveal, along with the new Hyundai Kona. And we send the tallest member of the team to drive the smallest electric car in the world. Plus, I'll be asking, are you a real man if you like electric cars? So welcome to the Kilowatt Half Hour. I am Ginny and I'm joined by Tom and by Mike. Hello, Hello both of Hello. you. Hello. Hello. It has been a mad week. We've been everywhere. Nicola's not with us today. She's probably off on another launch still. She has been off uh, driving the BYD Dolphin in, in the UK and we'll be chatting to her next week about that. Uh, but just quickly, chats, where have you been? Tom, where have you been? I've been in uh, Czechia, which is the country formerly known as the Czech Republic, uh, driving the new Kona Electric uh, mm. quite a lot. I drove the big battery version this time and um, saw the factory where it was made. Ooh, I have questions about that because I, I really like that car. I haven't driven it yet, but I think they've done a very nice job with it. Um, and Mike, what about you? We sent you off to drive a ridiculous car, didn't we? <laughs> well, yeah, I... I was in France, which is formerly known as France, and uh, yeah, we've all, we've, all, we've, all seen, we've all seen a lot of um, airport airports this week, haven't we? We've all spent most of our our time has been spent in departure lounges. But yeah, I've been to France just outside um, Paris to go and drive the uh, extended battery Citroen EC4 and EC4X and the Ami buggy as well. And uh, and I have also been in France. Um, in uh, a place that I find it hard to pronounce, Sochow, Sochow, Sochow. <laughs> That's really bad, isn't it? Apologies to anyone who's French. It's basically home to uh, Peugeot's factory and where the forthcoming Peugeot E3008 will be built. And they were very proud about it all. So we saw the reveal of that car. Um, it's an interesting car, isn't it, you two? Because it's potentially got an absolutely massive range, um, 435 miles of official range. And I don't know about you, but I always really cringe when, um, well, marketing speak generally makes me cringe. But when car companies or anybody indeed says it's next level, it's, you know, groundbreaking, but next level particularly like makes my teeth grind and I don't like that at all. Um, and there was a lot of next level going on um, over in, in France for me at the start of the week. Um, but it is interesting because, you know, actually that range is pretty much ne next level. I mean, it's got a, a massive battery. It's got a 98 kilowatt hour battery in that version, which is whopping, which if you put that into perspective, it's like twice the size of or probably all the other batteries used in Stellantis' electric cars, I would say, isn't it? 52 kilowatt hour in 52 kilowatts in some of them. Um, I don't know. What do you two think of it? Well, I kind of looked at that press release and went, 430 miles, is that right? Are they got kilometres? Is it wrong? But no, I mean, that is huge, and that's going to give people real confidence, isn't it? I, I do wonder if a car of that size needs a battery that big, though, but... Maybe as an initial stage, it's uh, it's what we need to have to get people to make the switch. No, I think it's it's interesting so much. This is the first car that's on that stellar platform they call it, don't they? Which is the new up to this point, every uh, electric uh, car from the Stellantis group has always been on a slightly adapted uh, petrol and diesel internal combustion engine car platform. This is the first one that's built the other way round. It's a built for electric, but it can accommodate 
internal combustion and, and hybrid. So this is the first kind of proper uh, car. And if, they, if that, if they're coming in with a 400 mile range car, then that's, you know, it bodes well for all the other stuff that's going to be swung off that platform. So yeah, otherwise we're interesting. It does. Yeah, they have that platform there. And as you say, um, it's quite a feat for Peugeot to get it because there's a lot of brands in the Stellantis mm. family that would have been vying for that. Um, and that was really what they were talking about, was that it's all about sort of charging times, performance, efficiency um, uh, that, that that will offer. Um, there's a second battery as well in the range, 73 mm. kilowatt hour battery. Um, it's going to offer around 326 miles of range. So I was doing the sums on those. And you know, you're going to have to be averaging 4.4 miles per kilowatt hour um, in order to get anywhere near those. Uh, ooh, in my experience of Stellantis cars and Peugeots in particular, because uh, I ran an ETO 8 for a while, um, that's massively punchy, I would say. I'm not saying they're not going to be able to do it, but it's going to be very interesting looking at that in the real world because they're, they're not the most efficient, are they? I well, yeah, but you look at though. that Astra that I drove, which yeah. is on the new the, the new platform and has the new engines and the new battery. And I wasn't trying hard. I was just driving normally on the motorway, did maybe 300 miles in it, and averaged five miles per kilowatt hour, which is, I've never driven anything that efficient. And I wasn't really trying. So, I mean, the weather was quite nice, I suppose, but I think it might actually do it. Maybe they've learned their lesson on that, your 208 and things, and it will actually be that good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I drove I drove the EC4X um, with the extended um, uh, range on this launch, and they, again, they made a big fuss about the fact that the drivetrain and the regen and everything has all been fine tuned, and they're making quite significant gains in terms of efficiency from those early cars. And you know, I drove mine for an hour, a bit of motorway, a bit of back road, a bit of countryside, and it was four point five, four point six miles per kilowatt hour, and I wasn't taking it particularly easy. Um, uh, you know, and I think if that's that's rolled out across the group, those those efficiencies. I mean, we're driving in the middle of summer, so we've got to caveat that. You know, and, and if in the winter, if it drops by a mile per kilowatt hour, it's going to be suddenly a, a pretty unimpressive figure, isn't it? So we're talking about sort of fine margins here. But I kind of think that all these companies like Stellantis and Volkswagen, they're all catching up. You know, and I think they're developing stuff on the hoof as they go along. And um, yeah, I think they're getting there in terms of the efficiency. Um, you know, and, and with the Citroen thing, they've sort of made. They've sort of made this discovery that if they make it lighter, then the efficiency gets better. And I think that the EC4 is 1,600 kilos, which for an electric car isn't particularly much. You know, it's it's still more than the petrol and diesel is, but not by a huge amount. And I think that's a lot of the places where those efficiencies are being made. So, yeah, I think they're all learning as we're going along. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other interesting thing for me that came out of looking at the E3008 is where Stellantis is pitching that car, where Peugeot is now seeing itself. Because they, you know, they were cheap and cheerful, weren't they? That's that's kind of what we would have mm-hmm. bought a Peugeot for back in the day. And actually now they're very firmly pitching themselves as this uh, another marketing speak allure, this uh, alluring, but a, a, a premium brand. And, and they're in a price point with you know, potentially they haven't, you know, we, we don't know pricing on this yet, but I, I have heard and I've, you know, figures that are being banded around a, a mid forties. So you're looking at very firmly at, you know, mm. Tesla model Y, you're looking at Kiri V6, you're looking at Audi e-tron, um, yeah. the, so the Q4 e-tron. So it, it's an interesting move up market. It's got a very luxy interior, very comfortable, and it does feel nice inside. But I don't know. Is that a big leap, do you think, for car buyers to kind of be cross-shopping from a Peugeot to a, an Audi? 
Oh, Jenny, you, you lived in Australia for a while, didn't you? I did live in Australia for a while, Tom. Where well, were you heading with this? What have you found out about me? This, it's not true. <laughs> it wasn't me and I didn't do that. <laughs> no, well, I think Peugeot was seen, or traditionally was seen, as quite a prestige brand in, in Australia. So it's the cars safe. were always very expensive. It's clutching at straws, Tom. Well, no, it's just that <laughs> it, might, it might well be. I mean... You know, you go to Africa and it's full of Peugeots that have lasted for ages and they see it as a very high quality brand. And, I don't know, yeah, I guess. I, to... Yeah, it's a good it's a good point. I think the Australia thing was um, anything European was seen as being massively premium. I shipped um, a Golf um, out there. Uh, a Golf GTI convertible while I was living out there. And honestly, it just, people were just kind of like thought it was the most incredible thing ever. So I think there's a, there was a lot of that at the time, certainly when I was there. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. You know, great. Mm. Car companies can reinvent mm. themselves, but I just wonder whether it's easier to do that if you are a new brand coming in, a new entrant into the space, and you've not got that legacy behind you. So mm. I think that's going to be really interesting to see when pricing is finally revealed on that, what we're putting it up against in group tests and things. I think it could be a really interesting one. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, Mike, you were in a slightly more, um, I think it's fair to say, glamorous part of France than um, than I was. How was Paris? Uh, yeah, Paris was fine. We got bundled. It was a bit hard because we arrived at the dark at Charles de Gaulle. We got bundled into um, some minibuses with blacked out windows and sort of driven around in circles for what felt like an hour till we arrived at this launch venue. Um, so I didn't really know exactly where we were, but I, the next day we drove the, um, the AMI buggy, which is the kind of sold out version of the, the AMI with, um, and it's sort of part fairground ride, part tent, part car. It's a bit of everything, really. The doors kind of clunk with those, uh, that sort of metal bar that if you go in a fairground or a roller coaster, it kind of clunks back into all, it was all a bit, a bit like that. And I've added a few things to the, to the basic AMI to make it feel a little bit more kind of buggy, a bit outdoor. One of which is what our Americans friends would call a fanny pack on the steering wheel uh, where you'd normally have an airbag on a car you've got a sort of piece of canvas bag which they say to keep your keys and your phone in i can only imagine that's while you're not driving because you need both to kind of operate the car so but it was an interesting thing that has these kind of sort of um canvas and sort of see-through plexiglass windows to keep it watertight which we needed because it chucked it down um and the mapping is on, it obviously doesn't have any sat nav, doesn't have anything really. It has a phone and they gave us a Google map uh, route on it. Um, uh, so you, you click yes and okay. So it took us out, out of the hotel and down a sort of little country road. And it said, your destination has been reached. Um, I didn't realize you had to then press continue to go on to the next waypoint. But all I knew was, it's just in, in the middle of France. I didn't know where we were. We'd arrived, we'd arrived at night and I thought if I turn left, I could very easily find myself on the auto route back to Paris and, and shortcut to a French jail. <laughs> so I didn't really know where I was, what I was doing. And all I looked up and I realized I had a bin lorry behind me, which was about that far away from the back of the AMI, which, you know, an AMI, you are the crumple zone in an AMI. And I was doing 28 miles an hour and this thing was not giving way. There was three... There's three French, French bin mans that really wanted their lunch, you know. So I was, it, it was kind of scary, really. I was quite pleased to get in the EC4 and EC4X after lunch. Really, but, uh, no. but can I just say, before we go was, on. Was I the just, sat imp- The sat nav was way better, was it- yeah. But actually, the, the most interesting thing on the launch, funny enough, they sat me down, <laughs> I sat at lunch and they said, oh, we've got this guy, the guy who's built the 48-volt hybrid uh, version we wanted to speak to him and I said I said well, I don't want to let you down but we only do anything with something with a plug in it so 
they moved my seat at lunchtime and I got sat next to these guys who are building an app called eRoots. Um, and it sounds more interesting than it, than it, than it is. Um, it's one, it's kind of like a Tesla like driving experience. So you and I, we've all been like, we've all said, well, I'm going to drive, I don't know, 300 miles under to a location. The charger I want to go to, I've got a rough idea of the charger I want to go to, but I've got no idea if that's going to be offline or someone's going to be using it until I get there. Right. What this does is like Tesla does, it has live display. So say I'm going to stop at Farnborough and charge up the two Instabolts there. I can tell as I'm driving and approaching that for the whole journey, whether that's being used. So if one's being used, two's being used, and if all, both are being used, the navigation then reroutes you to another one. I mean, this is Tesla have had this for 10 years, so it's no great, you know, secret really. But I mean, what the, the, the beauty of this is it obviously pulls together all the different charging points around Europe. So all the different, and it's just on screen at the same time. It's just brilliant. I just thought, you know, it was just sort of break. Unfortunately, it's only going to be Stellantis cars. But I did say to the guys, look, if you open this up, if you open this up to other people, I'd happily pay a subscription for something that was that good. And it all plays through CarPlay and Android Auto. So you don't have to rely on the sort of lousy that, OEM yeah. system. That's what I was that's what I was going to ask you is does it play through CarPlay and Android yeah. Auto? Because that's yeah. it's just so key, that isn't it? And because you, you put them a brilliant thing on our um on our Twitter feed about this, didn't you? Just about trying to find out what people actually use. Do people actually use the, yeah. the operating systems within the car? And actually most of us are using Android Auto or CarPlay, aren't we? You know, there are there were a few people who replied and said, No, I'm I'm sticking with the OEM one because it's really good. And you know, when you sort of interrogate what they mean by really good, there's it's it's really clunky. You can't pre-program it until you're in the car. Then you've got to rely on that. And then you can't play your podcast or your music because you've got to come out of CarPlay. So, you know, for all the technology in the world, we, we really kind of, I feel really behind on this dynamic charging. If we we're going to, if we we're going to get people to accept electric cars as not being quirky things that we've got to walk across a car park to go and find a charger, then we're going to need stuff like this, aren't we? Definitely. Yeah, no, it's a, it sounds it sounds great. Yeah, I was hmm. I was reading the piece that you've put up over on electrifying.com and it does sound really interesting system. I, I think we're going to get it in end of the year, are we here in the yeah. UK? October yeah. time, is yeah. that right? Good. Absolutely. Yeah, I, should, I yeah. should look forward to that. So before um, this podcast uh, becomes at risk of being sponsored by Stellantis, should we yeah. turn to Hyundai instead, Tom, and have a chat about you? What have you been? Uh, yeah, so. You've been, so... Yeah. Yeah, so I went to drive the um, uh, the the Kona Electric, uh, the new version, which is, I mean, it looks a little bit like a facelift, but it's actually a bigger car. It's 15 centimetres longer, and that's all gone into the back. So it's a bit like the Kia Nero has more space in the back. So it's now a much more spacious car. It's got a proper size boot and proper rear legroom, which it didn't have before. And although we loved the old Kona Electric, that was probably the thing that held it back for, for most family motorists. So... It's now much more spacious. Uh, it's much nicer inside. Uh, and I drove the the long range version, which uh, they'd just got the WLTP, so the official range figures for it. And they actually put a a, a, a sticker on the press pack because they'd just come in with the new figures. Um, and the long range runs 321 miles, which is properly long. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and, and yeah, that, yeah, that, that. That's a pretty decent one. What's it drive like? Because I, I really like this car. It really wowed me when I saw it. I saw the early ones um, in a studio in Germany uh, earlier this year. And I think it, they've done a great job with, with how it looks. Yeah, well, I think that looks are 
you know, we all have our opinions. And I think it looks a bit weird, but it's very futuristic. I would, I think the the uh, the Kia is a better looking car, but you know, we can all have our own opinions on that. Um, but it, it drives very well. It's a car that's very competent. You're not going to have any complaints about the way it goes. What's interesting is, do you remember in the old car? It had like 200 horsepower going through the front wheels, and you'd pull away from a damp <laughs> junction, and it would screech. It was, it was a bit scrabble. scrabbly, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and they've they've killed it on this. They killed all that. It's gone. And I was talking to the engineer about it, and he said, "Oh yeah, we've just got much better computers, and they talk to each other uh, in a much more efficient way now, so we can just get." So it feels much better from that point of view. Um, uh, so yeah, it's it's okay. I think that the. the we gave it 10 out of 10 before and I was expecting this kind of miracle and it wasn't quite a miracle. I think I personally would have the Kia, but you know, I wouldn't blame anyone for for having the Hyundai. What do you think of how it looks, Mike? Are you in my camp or in Tom's camp? No, I've I've got the slight disadvantage. I've not seen it in the metal. I've only seen it in the photos and we all know that subcars look absolutely awful in photos and look great. The Lotus Electra probably being the biggest example I I could say from this year. Um, I'm not wild on it and the pitches. Um, it's, it looks a little RoboCop for me, um, but I'm going to reserve. I'm, you know, I'm, obviously I'm in the lukewarm water between fire and ice of you two, whether you like it or don't <laughs> like it. So I'm going to um, res- I'm going to plead the fifth and uh, I'm going to I'm going to reserve my judgment until I've seen it in the metal. But I'm not. I'm I, I if, if I like it, I'm going to be surprised that I like it rather than disappointed that i don't like it because i do if oh. that makes any sense but yeah i yeah but you love it don't you i mean you you love yeah, it yeah it's funny I, I had i had an instant oh my gosh i really like this car but also i thought the interior was such a step up i think that's what really impressed me was that it just felt like a much nicer cabin to be in and it yeah. felt like a place that i would enjoy being in as i drove along but um yeah i can't wait to drive it but it's interesting you say that thing about how some um, cars just look completely different when you see them in the metal yeah. and I had that a bit yesterday because I went to get um, a UK first UK drive in the Jeep Avenger yeah. oh it's so little it's so cute it's because uh, you've driven it Tom on the international mm-hmm. launch and I've seen your video and I've obviously seen lots of you know, photography of it but when you actually see it it's a lot smaller than it looks isn't it did you get yeah. that sense as well Absolutely, because they say, oh, it's a city car, and you think, well, that's ridiculous. You can't have SUVs in the city. But actually, it's a it's, it's city car size. It's like the size of a Fiat Panda, but tall. Uh, I, I really like that car. I mean, it's got no room in the back, and the boot's yeah. small, and it's not that fast. But compare it to other small cars, and it's perfectly fine, except for the price, which isn't very small. It's not got a small price. I don't know how much we can say. I think it's all under embargo. The video goes out, I think, next week. Want to say the 16th? No, no, no. That's not soon enough. 19th. Sometime next week anyway, um, with all those details in. But I, I don't know. I, I That question, right, let's come back to that question that I said at the top. When is a Jeep not a Jeep? I don't. I couldn't think of a punchline to that one. I don't know if you've come up with a punchline, Tom. You're good at that kind of stuff. No, no. No. But I think, no. when is Jeep not a Jeep for me? So I've owned Jeeps in the past. I've had a Grand Cherokee. My dad's owned Jeep Wranglers. He shipped a couple over from the US. I've done loads of off-road stuff in Jeeps. I've done the Rubicon Trail. I've driven them in deserts. And it, the word that I always think about when I think about a Jeep is really rugged. You know, it's that rugged and, and, you know, and tough and go anywhere, do anything. So this is a massive reinvention. And I know there are, I know not that there will be, I know there are lots of people out there who just don't like this. 
One is a Jeep, not a Jeep. When it's got two-wheel drive and it's basically based on the same bits underneath, the same foundations as Vauxhalls and Peugeots. You know, it's, uh, you know, little Vauxhalls and Peugeots, in fact. I don't know. Does, can car brands reinvent themselves, I guess, is my question for you. Is it all right for them to do that? Are they allowed to just go, well, that's great and that's what we were, but this is better for our cities and this is better for where we're going? Personally, I think they can, but I, I think there's probably people out there that don't agree with me. Thoughts? Discuss, team? Mike? I think there's always going to be um, a degree of people, traditionalists, who will always say that you know the Jeep needs to be, it needs to be an off-roader. It needs to be doing this. Well, I was talking to um, Olivier Francois, um, who's the CEO of Fiat, and he said, um, and, and and sort of marketing at Stellantis as well, and he said that they want to make Jeep more Jeep. So, but without take, they want to keep the essence of it. Um, but so you won't get a rebadged Citroen as a Jeep, that kind of thing. So. So I think you can you can you can reinvent a mark because stuff goes out of date, doesn't it? Nobody wants Grand Cherokees anymore, oh. do they? I mean, maybe maybe North America there's still a sizable market for that kind of thing. But if you want to be a global brand, you've got to offer stuff that's a bit different. Uh, I'm struggling to think of a brand that has kind of entirely reinvented itself, and I don't think you could with with Jeep. But there's enough sort of design dna that they could roll that out into sort of sort of funkier things they're talking about still about making an electric wrangler aren't they so and i think that would be a yeah. really good car to have in their absolutely. range absolutely yeah so you know the one see. i'm excited about is the wagon is the wagoneer so they're bringing of course that wag, you know the wagoneer <laughs> yeah. uh, mark yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know the 400 mile range apparently i don't know Tom, what do you reckon you've you've seen it as well yeah I yeah i, I I think um, uh, you can reinvent a brand. I, there are, you know, marketing people would call them proof points of the of the essence of of the brand. And if you look at Mini, for example, a Mini is no longer Mini. It's not a city car. There's a four by four version. But what is it that makes uh, a Countryman or the, the new Mini Electric a Mini? It's the way it drives and some of the styling around it. And I think with Jeep, they've they've got a small city car. It does have not what I call off-road ability, but what most people will do is, can you drive uh, you know, up a rough track, which you can do uh, perfectly well in the Avenger. And that's all most people expect. And it's got a settings, hasn't it, for ice and snow and mud that just change the way things are. And I think it's a clever reinvention because they either go after Land Rover and go very posh, or they just make something which is a little more rugged, perfect for pothole British roads and 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 the occasional wet field when you're coming out of a festival or something. I, I think it's perfectly possible to do that. Well, we would love to know what you think. Um, just let us know in the comments below. Does the, uh, the thought of a small Jeep city car, which is what it is really, um, does that does that really uh, disappoint you? Or do you think that actually it, it's great that they're going down a different route? So yeah, do let us know what you think. Um, we could probably do a, a kilowatt full hour on all the events we've been covering this week, but should we just turn to the news and just, uh, you know, stories that are floating around? Um, is there anything that's caught your eye this week in the wider news? Mike, do you want to kick this well, one I'll off? Well, pick up some of the last, end of last week, which we didn't really have time to discuss, and that's um, good good charging, bad charging. Good charging is the fact that there's um, the NEC has a, as Europe, the UK's biggest rapid charging hub now, uh, public one uh, it's 30 mm -hmm. um, 150 kilowatt hour chargers and 150 
seven kilowatt hour chargers. Now I've been to the NEC for events before and tried to charge and they had like four units, which nobody knew how they worked or anything. It was terrible. So this is a, this is a really good breakthrough, I think, you know, in those kind of things. And it's centrally located. It's where three or four motorways meet and everything. So that's good. It's operated by BP Pulse and it looks like it's going to be, you know, a great place to sort of stop and charge up. On the flip side of that, I was on the way to Heathrow for the Citroen launch. I had to stop uh, and charge up. Um, there's a single BP pulse in a car park in the middle of nowhere, just outside Farnborough. Um, it's one of those, and it worked, it was fine. It, it charged my car up, it did the job. But it was one of those ones that had a, as a parking eye car park that was a nearby harvester or whatever it was. It was absolutely chucking it down. So I got soaked plugging it in. Then I had to walk 300 meters across to this harvester to go and put my number plate in. And obviously I was behind a group of eight who were trying to argue whether they'd booked a table or not. So I was two or three minutes longer than that, probably waiting there to get to this terminal so I could type my number plate in. And then, of course, soaked getting back to the car. And you're thinking, this definitely isn't the future. And I'm hoping this is kind of the old world because that used to be there four years ago, that charger, when I first bought my i3. So I've been using that a long time. And it was just just the, the contrast between this lovely... Um, BP Pulse hub that's just of the NEC. It's got solar canopies. It's got cafes, loos. You know, the sense it's it's the, it is the future, but it just it was just brought back down to earth. Thinking, you know, we're not going to get we we'll get the early adopters to put up with walking across a car park and queuing up in a harvester, but we're not going to get my neighbours, my parents, or anything like that doing it. So it's moving in the right direction. But there's always a reminder that of the of the old of the past that was there. So that's 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 my week in in charging. I I actually think there's a good um, argument for just getting rid of a lot of those old chargers because mm. we all know of the chargers that are out there that are not looked after or that are in places where actually it's actually not that safe you know and I yeah. think that actually does such a disservice to the mm. fact that we are getting some decent infrastructure so I I think you could probably go through all the charging infrastructure in the UK and get rid of maybe ten percent of it because it's not really fit for purpose anymore yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is what they've done at Heathrow. So all the, the charges at Heathrow that were seven kilowatt have now they're offline. They don't oh, work, really? so they're presumably going to replace them with something new and shiny. Yeah. Sorry, I've got to just mention this, Ginny. The, the, there's a line at the bottom of the BP press release, which is brilliant. It says Gigahubs are typically located in high demand areas such as airports and on motorways. BP Pulse has already opened Gigahubs at Gatwick Airport and in Kettering. I just thought that was an odd choice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm trying to trying to think whether it's a, a, yeah, I mean, it's a lovely place, I'm sure, but you know, um, but yeah, it just seemed yeah. an odd choice. Two things what? to pick out: G- Gatwick Airport and Kettering. Yeah, so <laughs> if any, if to... anyone in Kettering is yeah. yeah, if anyone in Kettering's listening to the podcast, could you just um, let us know in the comments? What's there? Um, what should what, we be heading there? Are we yeah. what? I feel I feel like we're missing out. I'm getting FOMO. I'm getting Kettering FOMO. So come on, yeah. tell us. Tell us what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Uh, t- Tom, uh, what are you chatting? Well, you know, on um, our YouTube videos, if we do a, 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 pre- a review of something like a BYD or an MG, there's always a couple of people who write in capitals about Chinese cars and uh, supporting <laughs> the, the Chinese government and, and generally having a rant. Now, I don't know enough about it to to get upset or to uh, make a comment on it, really. But the EU have today launched a probe, which is always a good word, uh, into the uh, electric car industry and what's coming from China, because I think some of the European car makers have said this just isn't fair. Because basically the problem is that if you 
uh, are a Chinese buyer and you import a, a electric car from a European maker, you get taxed at 15%. Whereas if an electric car comes here, it only gets taxed at 10%. And they say that the Chinese electric car makers are subsidized by the Chinese government. And therefore, they'll just make the cars cheaper and cheaper and cheaper until the European car industry disappears. And then they've got a monopoly. So there's a probe now to see what's oh. going on. Mm-hmm. Now, what the in- the in- the interesting bit of it is that the main people who are moaning are Stellantis because they don't have car factories apart from one Jeep one, which they're going to close in China. Mm. The likes of Tesla and BMW and uh, Polestar, which it is kind of, you know, bits of China. Well, they're, they're kind of Chinese owned anyway, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. yeah. So they make cars there. They haven't got a problem with it or they're not making such a fuss about it. Um, so it's a really interesting one. And, and the is. next Mini Electric is going to be built in China at the start, but then it will move to Oxford. So yeah, we can be competitive. Uh, it's just, yeah. I don't know, it's, it's a difficult one. It's, uh, it is, but I just I just kind of think that we we don't do enough generally, I think, in Europe to support the car industry. You know, if you look at what Biden's introduced in the US with that Inflation Reduction Act, which is massive subsidies to support production of electric vehicles and adoption of electric vehicles in there and adding taxation and taxes on to cars that are imported. And then you do look at the Chinese car industry and that has been massively heavily subsidised, as you say, and supported by the Chinese government. Isn't it just about putting us on a level playing field? Because that's better for the consumer. There's part of me that just thinks, don't punish other countries for actually doing some good stuff. Don't make it harder, because that's just car buyers in the end that are going to suffer. Have a word instead. Put pressure on, you know, European governments to, you know, to support what you're doing more, to give you tax breaks for factories, to build some more stuff, or do what, again, other European car brands have done, get out to China, make some joint venture partnerships and, and explore you know, opening factories there. I just kind of think that whole kind of, oh, it, it just, it, it seems a bit backwards to me rather than thinking about actually what's going to be best for the car industry generally, globally, and consumers as well. Mm. I'm sure they what the, agree with me. What the French are going to do apparently, which is really clever, and you'll like this, Ginny, um, is that they are adjusting their uh, grants for electric cars uh, depending on the CO2 produced in the car's manufacture. Yeah, so right. this this will affect the Chinese because a lot of their power that they use to make batteries and things comes from coal power stations. Yeah. Whereas in Europe, it tends to be much greener. And of course, shipping cars from China isn't particularly green either. Yeah. So that kind of evens it out. And I think yeah, doing it on, on that sort of basis, something with solid that's going to actually make a difference is is quite clever. I think, well, that I think is absolutely brilliant. And it, it ties in with all the work that we've been doing around our Green Heroes, which is really looking at car makers and how they produce the cars, given that so much of the emissions um, of an overall car's life cycle um, are emitted during those early manufacturing um, processes and the supply chain. So, yeah, I think that's a brilliant idea. Um, so I'm going to take us now from this kind of hofty light, uh, hofty, um, lo- lofty heights even lofty. of, you know, uh, <laughs> lofty heights of, um, you know, lofty thinking lights. about the environment and, prote- and protect the protectionism. And I'm just going to ask you to a question. Yep. Um, do you feel like real real men because you drive electric cars? Because apparently a lot of men don't, according to the Daily Mail. Really? That's so, you know, trust, as two men, 
trusted news source. Yeah. Do you, feel, do you ever, have you ever questioned your masculinity because you're not you know, in an electric car? Has that ever flashed across your mind for a moment? No, 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 there, no, was, no, no. there was a survey a few years ago about if, if women prefer men who drive V8s or Toyota Priuses, and this was in the States, and they did you know a survey thing on a dating app or something, and they said that women preferred the Prius man. They Exactly. So, And this is another one of those surveys, but it's actually some data and research that came from, uh, we love Texas University, where I imagine the concept of what the real man is quite strong. Um, but they... They were asking um, uh, a sort of research group, um, would they respect themselves if they didn't live up to being a real man? And um, around 40% said, no, no, they wouldn't. And one of the things that they held up as not being traditionally masculine and not being a thing that a real man does is to drive an electric car. But then that did, that, that group presumably was in Texas. So I'm not sure what that's actually, I think it says more about Texas. An oil producing state. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I thought that was quite interesting. So that was my bit yeah. of, that was the Daily Mail headline that grabbed me this week. The latest bit of really well-researched, well-put-together journalism. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, right then, on that point, what's going on? What's how we got a Carmel week next week? Are you, are you back driving the desk, Mike? Yeah, back driving the desk. I've got a 2024 model year, um, Jaguar I-Pace coming in towards the end of next week. I don't know how different that is to oh. the current ones, but uh, it's, yeah, it's quite, I mean, obviously on the background of it, you know, going in a 18 months time, isn't it? So it will be uh, it's kind of last hurrah, I suspect, but um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to getting that, but otherwise, yeah, driving this, the, uh, the old desk for most of the week. Yeah. You're driving the desk, Tom, what are you up to? Well, I'm going to Sweden to drive the Zika X. Oh, yeah. And it's been the weirdest press invite I've ever had because normally you know the PR person. They ring you up and say, would you like to come on this? Or you get some details. This was kind of a mysterious email that said, come and drive the new car in Stockholm on these dates. Mm -hmm. And then you had to download an app and fill in your details. And then you get something saying, we will be in touch. Wow. <laughs> and I haven't heard anything. So it's quite possible it's some sort of, elaborate kidnap plot and you might never see me again but yeah. uh if not it'll be quite an interesting car i think it's uh, you know geely it's based on the, the same oh. platforms as volvos and and things so it's if, if i don't get kidnapped and it's a genuine thing then um i'll be interested to find out what it's like and report back but otherwise goodbye everybody well good <laughs> luck with that i really hope that you're you're here for the next episode of the kilowatt half hour next week just to fill us in and if not it's been a real pleasure knowing you and on that note <laughs> please come back uh, i think it's time to wrap things up thanks for joining us on the uh, kilowatt half hour brought to you from all the gang at electrifying if you have anything that you think we should be covering any comments do let us know in the comments below and uh, it's goodbye from us. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.